Hey everybody, what's up? I'm Paige. And I'm Chris. Welcome to Animates. Uh, today we are going to be covering a millennial favorite childhood cartoon, a, another classic, I guess, Silver Age, I guess, Nickelodeon show, The Fairly Odd Parents. We finished, unlike previously, where watching had taken a while, we've actually been ready to go for a while and the busyness of life has just made finding a consistent recording time difficult. So we're coming to you uh, fairly fresh off of finishing the series or as much as we could. Um, let's talk a little bit about the show, its creation, its niche mm -hmm. in the Nickelodeon canon before jumping into the actual show itself. Yeah, so The Fairly Odd Parents is Nickelodeon's second longest running show of all time, following SpongeBob SquarePants. Um, and I think that this is, it's another good example of just like Nickelodeon deciding to like, just like perpetually drag like a reanimated corpse around like oh Disney World or something. Yes, you I'm know? so <laughs> like, happy that that's the metaphor you use. Because when I think of it, I'm just like, let it die. Just let it sleep. It's done. Let it rest. It's done its work. Yeah. But exactly. Because it continued to go on until 2018, at which point Butch Hartman like completely left Nickelodeon. And that's why it went on. But it's it's initial. It had an initial run of six seasons uh, before which they like were going to cancel it. But then they just def didn't at all. It wasn't ever off the air. <laughs> Before it um, actually uh, ended. So, as I said, it was created by Butch Hartman. Um, he was someone who was working at Cartoon Network on uh, Dexter's Laboratory and Johnny Bravo. And Fred Seibert of Frederator um, specifically asked Hartman to pitch shows. Um and after Johnny Bravo wrapped, Hartman did so, and he ended up creating uh, The Fairly Odd Parents, which was pretty much immediately, like, picked up by Nickelodeon. Like, there were, uh, there were a series of shorts that were aired on Nickelodeon beginning in 1998, um, and they were so successful that they Nickelodeon picked it up um, along with two other shows that were created as shorts for that same animation incubator, uh, Chalk Zone and My Life as a Teenage Robot. Um, so it premiered on March 30th, 2001. So like it, it pretty much he started developing it and it was immediately picked up <laughs> he didn't like shop it around uh or anything like that um so it was uh wildly successful i guess you, you could say every time i hear frederator i hear frederator in my head yes same <laughs> it, 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 same it, it it's it's a screech just embedded yeah. in my neural structures it it's one of the production studios for like half of the cartoons I've ever watched in my life, you know? It's impossible. It's just like um, Bad Robot and a lot of shows on like 
cable TV. Um, yeah. But I, 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 I do have to point out something that you yourself pointed out to me about Butch Hartman, which is that Butch Hartman's kind of a beefcake. Yeah, it's like two in a row of like surprising uh animators. It's like he's like my type for a variety of reasons, but like you look at him and you're like, this is a conventionally attractive man. You know, like he has like he's like ruggedly handsome. Like to me, like that kind of tech that his face is too meaty, but he has <laughs> great hair, you know, fantastic hair, ruggedly handsome. And the creator of Modern Life is like that too. And I'm like, what's happening? This isn't what an animator is to look like. I'm used to looking like Thurfield Orman and Ward was like a hermit who came out of the woods to show you his drawings. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this show. No, don't mind the bugs. It's called Adventure Time. <laughs> it's like Radagast the Brown shows up and instead of animals, he has like storyboards, you know? Yeah, he's pitching. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Butch um, is kind of Yeah, he's kind of beefy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, other than that, like, I had not been aware of Butch Hartman before this sh- sh- show. Like, I know he'd been on other ones, but again, um, not not really show running. And this is definitely a case where some kind of lightning was captured in a bottle and Nickelodeon continues to bilk it for all of its worth. Um, for those of you who have watched the development of TV some of you may have heard that they did a live action like reboot, not reboot, but like another show. Sounds horrific. It's an abomination. It's an abomination. And yeah, um, truly, um, but truly, hashtag, look what they did to my boy. <laughs> um, Butch Hartman. Butch Hartman, I feel like it's worth noting also as the creator and showrunner of Danny Phantom. Which um, I also was like. much shorter running, but it is a, I would argue in terms of just like, like, I don't know. I would argue that it is actually a better show. Fairly Odd Parents is a great show. This is in no way to denigrate Fairly Odd Parents, but I don't know if I'm confusing me liking it more with it being better, but like Danny Phantom is a friggin' great show. Um I'd also like to point out both those shows have great theme songs. Um, he did not write the Danny Phantom theme song, but Butch Hartman did write the Fairly Odd Parents theme song as well as all of the other songs that appear in the Fairly Odd Parents, which I did not remember is a lot. There are actually a lot of musical episodes. That's crazy. Well, I, I did a man clearly of many talents because like a lot of the musical episodes are pretty good. So yeah, I, they are. Yeah. And it's like, that's like the fairly odd parents theme song is a classic. Like it's like, I'm sorry, every millennial, it is again, etched on our brain, you know, green moose, rubber goose, you know, hop, you know, hop juice, rubber, oh. obtuse, rubber goose, green moose, guava juice, giant snake, birthday cake, large fry and chocolate shake. Yeah, and the musical mm-hmm. cues are very, very memorable. So very strong, very strong. I know all of the words to the song. Um, yeah, great song. Um, 
So, so yeah, <laughs> he's clearly very talented. Yeah, and the show itself, in in terms of he he seems pretty involved. Like his name, for like throughout the first five seasons, which was really its like original run, which we intended to watch. So I made it into late season four because at a certain point, you kind of get the gist and. It also gets harder to find like the first three seasons are on Netflix and that's very easy to access. But once you get past that, it starts to get it's like broken up over all kinds of different things and it starts to get really difficult to locate it. Which is a shame because all the movies, which were like not true movies, but extended episodes that they aired as special events. Um, which mm-hmm. was really big in like the late 90s, early aughts was like the television movie event cartoon thing. Um, they all the movies I watched were in the middle between seasons three and seasons four. Interesting. Yeah. OK. I don't know if that's just the way the the order of the list that I got or if that's actually how they aired, but that's how I watched it. and. Ultimately, the movies are just long episodes. They're usually very musical in number. This show is very musical, which is something that I think was a little bit before its time in the in the same way. Like, I don't know, Steven Universe, Adventure Time, they're all very musical, but they are. Yeah. If you go earlier than that, they really aren't as much and like yeah definitely in many ways fairly odd parents feels like a very good middle like it's show i feel like it's somewhat showcasing a transition i would agree with that i would agree with that where it's also it's like it's got a fantasy premise it's you know because we've talked about a lot of the cartoons before that are essentially like premises that are grounded in reality in many ways it's like it might be about animals, but the animals are completely like anthropomorphic, you know? Um, so it's really just about like, you know, I've talked before about like the plot of this show is there is a young boy <laughs> and he lives in a neighborhood, you know, like like something like Doug or Hey Arnold or something like that. Whereas this has a fantasy premise, which we've talked about being a big marker for shows over the last 15 years or so uh it has a lot of musical elements which i actually did not remember but i now see as being a really big uh like like presaging you know a lot of other shows that were to come uh and it's it's still got that like syndicated or uh that like episodic Yes. Slapstick humor of the previous 10 years from this yes. point. All right. It, it's got some stuff, but it maintains other stuff. Yes. Yes. I agree completely. Um, so I will say it's, it is just like completely stacked in terms of voice acting talent, this show. Like it's crazy. So. Obviously, Timmy and many other voices on this show are done by Tara Strong, you know, the great Tara Strong. And then also 
alongside her, voicing Vicky and Tootie and a bunch of other voices, is Grey Delisle. Also, you know, a great that we've talked about a lot before. Um, someone that we have not talked about before, but who does a ton of stuff on this show, uh, is Darren Norris. He voices both Cosmo and Mr. Turner. Uh, and if you were a big watcher of Nickelodeon in general, you would recognize him from Ned's Declassified School Survivor Guide as Gordy the Janitor. Um, it is worth noting that he also is the voice of Jorgen von Strangle in this show. Come on, my muscles. I, <laughs> I, I, yeah, um. Sorry, that was awful. I, I really apologize for that, everybody. I'm glad. Uh, um, yeah, really, really, really just, I, I think, a, a blemish on this world that I wish I could take back. Um, but it's a, it's a um, Arnold Schwarzenegger impression, essentially. Like, Jorgen Strangle is kind of like, it also in appearance, like a cross between Jean-Claude Van Damme and Arnold Schwarzenegger. And Rambo. Um, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so... Then Wanda is voiced... Uh, Wanda, both Wanda and Mrs. Turner are uh, voiced by Suzanne Blakesley, who is a voice actress and Broadway actress who also has done, um, you know, in lots of uh, Disney, you know, in the modern iterations of adaptations of uh, Sleeping Beauty and 101 Dalmatians, things like that. She's been uh, lots of villainesses. You know, she's been Maleficent. She's been Cruella de Vil. Um, so she is obviously uh, pretty talented and prolific, even though she may not be as well known as maybe some other people. Um, and we also have, as we mentioned last time, because we were so shocked, Carlos Elizraki, uh, who was the voice of Rocco, in addition to being Deputy Garcia in Reno 911, um, doing the voice of Denzel Crocker, one of my favorite cartoon characters of all time. Um, also, weirdly, Frankie Muniz. Um, Frankie Muniz is the voice of Timmy's friends, Timmy's friend, Chester McBadback. So there you go. I have some things to say about Chester. I love Chester. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I, God, there's so much that I realized I had not remember. Like, how, how, how do I put this? There's so much about this show that I think has entered into a couple of like sayings or styles of humor that I've had for a very long mm -hmm. time. But it, yes. I didn't realize that that was the case until I started watching it again. And, um. What's interesting is one thing I forgot is, like, they get a lot of, like, very famous guest stars to voice characters on the show. Like, I think mm -hmm. I was watching one of the movies and I and I messaged Paige and I'm like, fucking Alec Baldwin is voicing adult Timmy. 
the one that like so the one that even as a child like i knew was a famous person and i like understood why it was funny that was he was in that role um was that the crimson Jin, right the the comic book superhero with a gigantic chin is voiced by jay leno and like even as like a 10 year old i was like oh yeah jay leno he's a famous guy he has a great big gin chin that's funny right or, um for me it was adam west because that adam, was hilarious too yeah. adam west voices adam adam west voices himself but Adam West in this show is also Catman, which is obviously yeah. a play on Batman. And yeah. it's really funny. It's hilarious. I no, like I was very sad to find that I did not get to any Catman episodes because I remember them being hysterical they when I was a very, child. They are very funny because like it it's all a play on how Adam West is basically insane but mm-hmm. Adam West is in on the joke and does a really yeah. good performance. So mm-hmm. I think like Adam West just goes around saying to random people, I think you would be great to star alongside me in my movie. And he says, <laughs> and everybody's like, he wouldn't say that to anybody else, would he? And he says it to like a janitor <laughs> or a parking attendant. Um, it's a very <laughs> funny joke, but um Another one that I really enjoyed was Norm MacDonald voicing a genie. Oh, man. And he's like a sassy, like a sassy monkey's paw genie. And it's a very funny episode. But Norm MacDonald does great. So Yeah, I um the one that really killed me, though, was Chris Kirkpatrick. Uh, Chris Kirkpatrick, uh, none of you will know, probably, is the member of NSYNC whose name you did not know. Um, and who is apparently, I researched him once this happened, the founder of NSYNC. Like, he's the one who started the whole thing. This Chris Kirkpatrick. And he is the voice of Chip Skylark. And I had no idea. I had no idea as a child that a member of NSYNC was the voice of Chip Skylark. I didn't either. So I learned something, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I do really like... Ben Stein is is in is voices the show. He voices the Pixies, who are like the boring corporate versions of fairies. And yeah. does like <laughs> Ben Stein just he does his thing so well. He's like, oh no, our evil plan has been defeated. No. <laughs> just does like a really good, a really good job. And the the list goes on. Like yeah, Gene like Simmons. Gilbert Gottfried's in there. Rip, you know, who's Gene Simmons? Like I don't know. It may have been. I suspect it's from later seasons. Probably, yeah. So lots of lots of like really B. Would you say B list celebrities? Is that um? I don't know how this thing works. I would argue that some of these people are A list celebrities. Um. I would say that like Alec Baldwin, uh, Jason Bateman, Brendan Fraser, like those are all people who were have at some point been A-list celebrities. You know, like they're not like Brad Pitt or whatever, right? But like they're very famous people. They're household names. People know who those people are. And then you have, I would say, I don't know, like probably like A minus. You know, I would I would argue that like, you know, like Gene Simmons, Patrick Warburton, Tom Arnold, 
Dana Carvey, like Julie Chen, the news lady. Like these are all people who are like people definitely know who they are. You're not like seeing them on the red carpet, but like people for sure know who these people are. Like no one would be like, who's that? Like if you say Ben Stein, people are like, yes, I know who Ben Stein is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely don't know how those rating lists work at all. They're uh, completely arbitrary. They're made up. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured that was the case. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if it all it takes is being a household name, is Mr. Clean an A-list celebrity? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good. Okay, I like that the dude on the bottle of cleaning supplies is an A-list celebrity. It yes. really tells you how the world works. <laughs> so, um... There's obviously no big plot to discuss with Fairly Odd Parents. This, as our previous shows like Rocco's Modern Life, is just a series of vignettes. And there are some changes that might occur over the course of the show, but they're all sort of like disconnected and usually not really that big of a deal. So it, it, yeah, most of the like l- like most of the changes that happen that stick around are things that happen like at post revival. Like the beginning of the revival is the introduction of the baby, which apparently that was wildly popular. Even as a kid, I was like, "Fuck this! I hate it when shows had a baby." Well, yeah, and like okay, so like the I suppose it helps to identify the sort of some of the the history of the characters here just so everybody remembers who everybody is right the main character is timmy turner who's voiced by tara strong timmy has fairy godparents who grant him wishes um they're named has... cosmo and wanda that's very funny they're fairies wanda uh-huh and they they wear crowns they have wings they have wands wands and wings floaty crowny things and <laughs> It's really funny because they oftentimes refer them as like crowny things or hats, implying that they aren't actually crowns. Um, but maybe that's just me reading too much into it. They, <laughs> they, um, they grant Timmy wishes. They often go wrong. I have a lot to say about the the system of magic they have is actually very interesting. But we'll come yeah. back to that. Um, Timmy has his parents, mom and dad, whose names are mom and dad. Mom and dad. They never get revealed. Like, he goes back in time on multiple occasions, meets the child version of his parents. They give him their name, but you, it's obscured by, like, a truck horn. And then they follow it up by saying, but everyone just calls me dad. (laughs) Yeah, so mom and dad are mom and dad even when they're, like, 10. Yeah, it's hilarious. They are both good parents and bad parents. And Mm -hmm. the first season is really brutal. They do get a much more sympathetic portrayal after the first season. But by far in the first season, they are like straight up neglectful and kind of abusive. I don't necessarily think that they lose those qualities entirely, but they there are a lot of episodes. I think maybe... (laughs) It it kind of feels like one of those things where either Hartman or the execs after the first season were like, man, you really, you really made his parents bad. Maybe you should try to make them more sympathetic. And he did. They did. Like, mom and dad are actually not so bad. But ultimately, 
there's still a lot that makes you go, hmm, hmm. I don't know if that's yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's like it's. I think the most telling episode in season two is when Timmy wishes that like nobody cared about anything or something like that. Um, and it's like destroying the world and the way that he fixes it, and including like Wanda and like Cosmo and Wanda, they don't care. So the way that he ends up fixing it is by repeatedly putting himself in significant danger and his parents, like their love and concern for him is so powerful that they begin to care because they need to protect him. You know, it's actually really funny um, because it's like they like aren't wearing pants and they're like completely unshaven. And, you know, the poofs that normally happen when Timmy wishes for things that they're poofing, they're like love, concern. And it's like they keep getting more like human beings again. And at Poofs, it's like pants. (laughs) And Dad's wearing pants again. (laughs) Okay, that episode also squicked me out as a child because that is the episode Braided rope of armpit hair yeah that's the episode where mom hasn't shaved and i'm not saying female body hair grosses me out that's not what this is um mom's armpit hair is so long that she's able to braid it and turn it into a hook shot and it's really upsetting. Yeah, she's like, well, use my braided rope of armpit <laughs> It's It's really funny, but it's, it's really gross. fucking gross. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that episode also is very interesting because the show is kind of like a time capsule because the, the, there's a monster in the sewer subplot and it's an alligator. And I don't know if you guys remember, but people used to talk all the time about the alligators that lived in the sewers. People, is that not an urban legend anymore? Is there no longer an urban legend that alligators live in the sewers of New York City? I'm sure that people still tell that story, but it feels like that was like very high 90s. Okay, okay. To me. It's like urban legends like that. Uh, Okay. So, yeah, that mom and dad, um, obviously the titular villain of the show is Vicky, the icky babysitter who is voiced by Greg. This is this is the voice that next to Azula I most commonly associate with Grey Delisle is yeah. Vicky. Yeah. It's so harsh too. Like if there were ever times when I'm like, okay, I need a break from Fairly Odd Parents, it really is because Vicky's voice is so fucking grating. Yeah, and and Vicky is evil like she she tortures Timmy, she's greedy, she lies, she's, she's, you know, the... A literal psychopath, I'd say. An actual psychopath, like, diagnosable. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, definitely. Like, one of the funny things that I really like about Vicky is that it is increasingly shown that she is a, um, a force for evil everywhere, that... Um, at first in the first season, it's just like, oh, she's just mean to Timmy. But like she has installed shock bracelets on Timmy's friends. Her family is threatened to say good things about her at gunpoint. <laughs> like the, she she tortures everybody. So yeah. she's she's very clearly just an equal, like a psychopath. Mm-hmm. But she's yeah. the reason Timmy gets Cosmo and Wanda and a point that's reiterated many times is that Timmy is often grateful to Vicky because he he got fairy godparents because of them. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of fairy godparents. 
the Denzel other, Crocker. Yeah, the other villain of the show is Denzel mm-hmm. Crocker, who believes in fairies. And mm-hmm. we later learn it's Timmy's fault that he believes in fairies. Yeah. And he is he's crazy, but he's actually not crazy. Yeah, for sure. It's like I remember like I got up that the episode that I've always remembered is, in fact, in season three. And um, I did watch it. And even as a child, I was like, oh, this is really sad, actually, because like he's Timmy's fourth grade teacher or fifth fifth grade teacher. uh, And he is mean and nasty and takes pleasure in like torturing and humiliating children. Um, And he's also obsessed to the point of like lunacy with with fairy godparents and proving their existence specifically because he thinks like timmy has fairy godparents and um that he can use timmy to prove it which is correct um but like basically you know there's this whole episode um it's like it's like an extended it's several episodes where like the worst day of uh mr crocker's life is march 14th And so Timmy goes back in time to figure out why. And it's basically because he had fairy godparents. Everyone loved him. He did wonderful things for people. And then it ended up being revealed to everyone that he had fairy godparents. And it was Timmy's fault. And so he was forced to forget that he ever had fairy godparents. And everybody in the town was forced to forget that any nice thing that he ever did for them as a result of having fairy godparents. But Timmy wrote him a note on something on a fairy detection device. His life becomes a living hell. Literally, he was he was receiving an award and everyone is made to forget that the nice things he did. And so the crowd immediately says, they say, why are we all here? It has to do with that kid. I don't remember anything that we're celebrating. We must be an angry club. And so Denzel Crocker becomes a crazy person who is obsessed with the concept that fairies are real and proving that to everyone. And everyone also immediately hates him. And through his obsession, he just continues to make everybody hate him more and so his life is horrible and it is 100% Timmy's fault yeah it really feels like a blind spot of the show that they never really fix that and Cosmo and Wanda fucked up real bad which is not the first time that Cosmo and Wanda fuck up real bad and it's heavily implied that it happens because they're high because it's 1972 dude the 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 70s versions of cosmo and wando look like hippies and they're fucking great it's 70s now to be fair these are two different parts of the 70s but 70s jorgen von strangle is like a disco guy (laughs) which is fantastic um so crocker but i i hate to like i realize crocker is a tragic backstory but like at the same time, the show is so fanciful that I can still laugh at him. Yeah. Like, whenever he does fairy godparents, his body... It's so 
funny. Convulsive. He's like, Timmy has very good parents. And he <laughs> yells and it's at his... different every time. It's and there's one that really killed me because like it was just like so like each pose was so weird. And the one he ended in, he had his finger hooked at his own mouth and was like pulling his lip down. Like it. It, it's one of my favorite running bits, which yeah, it's quite, really funny. <laughs> there, there are a lot of the show, but but yeah, Denzel Crocker, he sometimes succeeds and steals them and uses their magic to oppress people, but he always gets defeated in the end. And yeah, for also they, they fix. You might say, but Paige, Chris, if Timmy can travel back in time and he's the one who caused this problem. Why did he not fix it? It's because Jorgen said he wasn't allowed. They explicitly said he could not travel back to March of 1972 ever again, but he should feel free to travel to any other month of that year. Yeah, they basically say, listen, you've mucked up the timeline enough. We're not letting you muck it up anymore, which honestly pretty based because time travel never works out. So you'd better not compound it by just doing more wrong. Yeah. Exactly. Ultimately, there are other side characters that show up from time to time. Tootie, Vicky's sister, is in love with Timmy. Uh, A lot of plot lines revolve around Trixie Tang, which we can talk about. Trixie's role in the show, which is very weird Mm -hmm. to me. Okay. um, Chester and AJ, Timmy's closer friends. Chester is a nerd, like hyper, hyper scientist a la Jimmy Neutron, and, uh, a- wait, no, AJ's the nerd, Chester's yeah. the kid with the braces whose poverty is hilariously over-exaggerated. Yeah, so, so, like, Chester, that one's interesting to talk about because he is, like, like, he is a stereotype of what, what people might derisively call trailer trash, right? But something that's interesting that I noticed about both of Butch Hartman's shows is that in both of his shows, like the main character as one of his like two close friends has one of his two close friends is a black nerd, which is like that was not an archetype that was like common at that time. Like I would say that like the concept of a black nerd was just like becoming something that people thought could exist and just becoming like an archetype like that could be used as a stock character and stuff at the time like in the mid 2000s when these shows were being made in the early 2000s when these shows were being made so that one's really interesting to me that both of his shows have a black nerd when you wouldn't have ever seen that stock character in you know the 90s or whatever yeah, I was just thinking, like, I guess that archetype really starts with, what, Urkel? Yeah, but they're not like Urkel, whereas Urkel's like, because Urkel is just, like, like off-putting and doesn't know how to dress. He's not, like, smart. Whereas both AJ and... Geek versus nerd. Yeah, so, like, I can't, um, I can't uh, remember the name of... Danny Phantom's best friend, but he's also like, like a, like a computer wizard, you know, like really, really intelligent and like, you know, a prodigy and can do all kinds of cool stuff with computers, just like AJ is. So not just like, not weird, like really, like maybe a little weird, but like really, really smart. Good at science. 
Yeah, I think that's all the main characters. Like, there are some recurring villains outside of Vicky. The Pixies, who are the corporate version of fairies. They anti-fairies, which are just, like, negaverse versions of, like, Cosmo and Wanda and all the other fairies. Um, Cosmo's mom. Cosmo's mom, who is voiced by somebody whose voice I recognize a lot, but don't know who they are. Yes. Ugh, same. I'm like, oh, that person. Who is that person? Um, Loki Cupid is a little bit of a villain, I feel like, because he can... Fires with Cosmo's mom a lot. Yeah, like the April Fool is a bit like there. There are a variety of supernatural characters that sort of like serve a revolving door of like friend or enemy, depending on the context. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I would I, say that's fair. For the most part, I think that's like the main main cast. Like Timmy's principal. Is a side character. So there, there are side characters, but those are the biggies. The mayor in, uh, not Goatsy, um, Chompy. Chompy is the name of the goat. <laughs> please. Ah, uh, yeah. Please, please yeah. don't look up Goatsy, guys. Please don't look that up. <laughs> please don't look that up. Gene uh, Car. I think that the. Do not. Why, like, Chris, what the hell? So I'm pretty sure, actually, now that I think of it, I'm pretty sure that Mama Cosma and Miss Waxelplacus are voiced by the same person. Yes. Um, And that person is Jane Carr. Okay. You know what? Actually, she might not be the same person as... No, she's legitimately like an extremely posh English lady, so I don't think she's the same person as Miss West Placus. So... But, yeah. She's like a... Like a she's a... What? She was... No, no. Sorry. Different person. Different Jane Carr. I was like, she was not born in 1909. There have been two British actresses named Jane Carr. <laughs> Whoa. What? That's confusing. Yeah, I know. It's very confusing. Yeah, I almost freaked out. So, yeah, so the basic premise of the show is Temmie makes a wish, the wish goes awry, and they deal with the consequences. Maybe Temmie learns a lesson. Sometimes it's literally just like a nihilistic conclusion of like, oh, it didn't matter, and ha ha ha. And it kind of vacillates between the two, which is nice. Sometimes it's fun to just watch something stupid, and other times it... it is nice to see him learn something valuable. Um, interestingly, I think the show says a lot about a particular kind of childhood and adults. I, it, it feels very much like that era when the internet was starting to become very popular but wasn't affecting children in the same way. So people were mm -hmm. still living somewhat of like a run around the neighborhood lifestyle, but there was also like the internet. Yeah. And mm -hmm. yeah, I would say like a great running gag in the show is actually when people will catch on to that. Timmy has something like really weird and specific. They'll ask him where he got it. And he would say, uh, internet. 
And it's like that joke is very bound by time because it's 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 a time where both like people are like, oh, yes, the Internet is a place where you can get things and where you could get things that are really specific, but also that they like don't know enough about the Internet that they could like look into that, you know, and confirm. That's a perfect encapsulation of the time period the show was made. 100%. Yeah. And what's really funny is, okay, one time that gag evolves where Timmy's like, uh, internet? And dad is like, and where did you get that internet? <laughs> Timmy owns the internet. <laughs> like, uh, that, that, anyway, that joke is very funny. Dad is one of the funniest characters in the show. Like, that Cos is hysterical. Cosmo and dad are both idiots. Mm -hmm. And a lot of jokes stem from their particular brand of idiocy. Mm -hmm. But anyway, like, I feel like the show has a lot to say about being a child. Actually, um, I feel like in. OK, I oh God, I hate to do this. I feel like one way to see the show is like it says a lot about inferiority. Like, it's very focused on feelings of weakness, which sure. there is a literary or a there's a psychoanalytic angle. Like mm -hmm. one of the psychoanalysis, Alfred Adler, was the dude who popularized ideas like inferiority complex and um, like overcompensation as a mm -hmm. way to make oneself feel better for a weakness. Sure. It's not just about dick size. It could be about any perceived physical or mental weakness and the show like focuses a lot on Timmy's feelings of power like shifting between feeling weak and then overcompensating by making really crazy wishes yes definitely and I would say Timmy also feels Timmy and his friends feel very inferior to the popular kids Denzel Crocker feels inferior to everyone um uh, dad feel Mr. Turner feels inferior to Dinkelberg, like a lot of people. You don't so much get that with women, except for uh, what's her name, Veronica, like Trixie Tang's best friend. We get some insight into her. She clearly is like, she clearly does feel inferior. But with women, you don't really get so much that they, you know, have issues or feel inferior. But all of the like, Almost all of the male characters have some kind of plotline or issue around feeling inferior. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even realize with the women part, because, yeah, like, I think the women are generally pretty confident. I would say so. Yeah. They're generally pretty confident and competent. Yeah. Wanda is sort of the exemplar. It does unfortunately mean the show falls into the nag archetype mm -hmm. really easily. Yes. Because I feel like if you have competent women in a comedy show, it's very likely they'll end up being nags. Um, yeah. By the, like, stereotypical male version, like, definition. So that that is unfortunate. But she's always proven right. So. Yes. I feel like, yeah, they're like, she's a nag, but she's hyper competent and correct. And at the end of the day, she's the only thing that keeps Cosmo from... Wishing himself into a new ice age. <laughs> like, Cosmo is down to clown. He's a ride or die. 
<laughs> with just stupid ideas. And that's where half the fun of the show comes from. So, if, yeah, I feel like hyper-competent women, um, lots of male inferiority. I feel like it does say something about the nature of parent and child relationships. Sometimes those things are pretty brutal. For example, like Timmy's parents. I feel like from the perspective of a child, we kind of see parents who want to have a life and have a child. Mm -hmm. And it shows that that's very difficult and that you can harm your children by dumping them with people. Mm -hmm. And like, the nature that parents don't trust their children when their children try to tell them something's wrong. Yes, very much. Also, like, the bit about, like, when Timmy finds out that his parents have lied to him and he wants to find out what all the lies that they've ever told him are, and he also wishes that they would never lie to him again, um, and his parents are sitting there trying to go through, like, all of the thousands of lies that they've told Timmy in his life. Um, and it does, a book gives the impression that his parents, like, lie to Timmy a lot for convenience, but also it is getting across kind of the idea that, like, hey, if you're a kid and you didn't want your parents to lie to you about thing, you that. It wouldn't be fun. I, yeah, and I, I think it's, it's semi-sympathetic because they, they say, you know, sometimes you have to lie to children but I think it does a good job of showing that that, like, as necessary as it might be, can really fuck a kid up. Yeah, definitely. And that it shouldn't be something that you do lightly. Yeah, and, you should not lie to a child just for your own convenience. And that's kind of like, I feel like as the show goes on, mom and dad go from what I would consider to be neglectful and abusive to imperfect. But one of the character flaws that they consistently have regardless of how sympathetic they're portrayed on average is they is doing things for expediency yes very much very like much so doing doing things that involve making their lives easy at the expense of someone else doesn't necessarily have to be Timmy but it usually is and Part of this is that, like, they don't vet their babysitter. And mm. that's, at, like, a baseline level of shittiness, really. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Vicky is really good at lying. Like, really good at lying. But mom and dad are the only people who really don't seem to know how bad Vicky is. And I don't know. They seem to be giving the impression that most of the children in town are babysat by Vicky. And that they all know that she's evil, but none of their parents seem to get that. That's fair. Vicky's family knows, but that's only because, you know, they live, they with, live her. with her. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I feel like sometimes it's brutally honest about what it's like to be a child. I, I definitely think that that's one of those things that shows a more mature environment for animation. Mm -hmm. Again, sort of like presaging these things about the stories that shows will tell because it's very different than like other cartoons that will show loving parents all the time yeah yeah definitely um 
like it's 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 setting the stage for something like Finn's extremely complicated relationship to his parents, you know, um, whereas like, you know, in in something like Doug, his parents may be like a little bit bumbling, but they're like so loving and so supportive, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so I it it's kind of nice to see these things didn't just pop out of the ether. And it yeah. I mean, I realized that the show had a particular view of child-parent relationships, but I'd forgotten the exact nature of it. I remembered Temmie's parents being shitty, but I didn't remember all the episodes they tried to do about like being sympathetic to them as well. Mhm. So it was it was definitely an interesting thing to see on a rewatch. Yeah, definitely. Though I will say, I do believe that something is psychologically wrong with Mr. Turner. <laughs> yes. Oh, 100%. He definitely has some kind of personality disorder or something. Because <laughs> he's he 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 might fit what we call histrionic personality disorder. Yeah, maybe. Bit. Like. It's usually portrayed by like that or borderline. Yeah, he, both of which are way more common in women. Um, but like you can see like some of the stuff he does being how how those disorders might in, present in men. You know, interestingly, he takes on a number of traditionally feminine roles. He cleans. He is very concerned with, like, the decoration of his home. He squeals a lot. As a, he does. It's, it's really funny. <laughs> as, like, he squeals and he faints a lot. Mm -hmm. So he does things I would expect to see them do with a female character more. Yeah, I would also say, like, this is never explicitly stated, but I just very much get the vibe that, like, mom makes more money you oh, know yes. because they do briefly show them in their jobs and dad has some kind of office job he is whereas mom is a he is literally a pencil pusher <laughs> he works um, at a pencil company oh my god i didn't pick up on that <laughs> um but mom's a real estate agent so you know if she's good at her job then she's making good money what she is shown selling very ritzy homes. So yeah. here, here's the deal. This, this is a perfect segue, talking about these roles, into another thesis the show has, which is very stark social class divides. Yes. Like very, very intense. Like very intense. Like as a central thesis, it shows like social stratification in a number of niches or like in a number of levels and it's very weird looking back it's it's interesting because so something we talked about is it's very focused on this concept of popularity even though it's portraying elementary school and that's one of those things where it's like chris and i discussed that we don't remember clicks being that clearly defined or popularity general popularity among the general child population being that important um, and it's sort of a thing that's like, did John Hughes reflect reality or shape reality? You know, uh, 
But something that's very interesting is that explicitly, explicitly, wealth and popularity are interchangeable, except for in one case, being wealthy means that you are popular and being popular means that you are wealthy, uh, which I think is a very interesting thing for them to convey and is also in many ways very truthful because as a child or teenager, the types of things that would make you popular in a Hollywood type of way type of way are all material things that you would need wealth to have the ability to have the best clothes and the coolest toys and you know a nice house and throw parties and have you know uh like thuggish security guards that follow you around the school (laughs) right um so that's that's very like and i don't necessarily know that it was true to the reality that i experienced growing up but it seems like it may have been somewhat true to reality that people experienced growing up in maybe the 80s the idea that you know like pot like the ability to be well liked was sometimes um dictated by access to material goods yeah i feel like to some extent this well the show exaggerates things from a child's perspective Um, yes so the power and the the of a babysitter is one of mm-hmm. those things that is exaggerated in the show because that's kind of what it would look like to a child. So a part of me wonders if this is a situation where they're not necessarily saying the world is this, but like this is how the world feels to a kid. Sure. Like and and I and popularity is a big one and it's interesting that you like interchange it with this because like it doesn't always track. AJ's family is very well off. And he's a That's genius. True. But mm-hmm. he's socially at school a part of the, like, the second class. Yeah, because, like, because you reach a point where, you know, social, like, your ability to read and replicate certain types of social cues um, can overstep you know, like what having access to material goods can get you. Like, for example, there's a whole episode where Timmy finds out that Trixie Tang likes boy stuff. You know, she likes comic books and like frogs and shit like that. But she's a very pretty girl and she's a very popular girl. She's a very wealthy girl. And she has an instinctual understanding of the idea that Failing to conform to certain social expectations will negatively affect her social position in a way that no amount of wealth could make up for. Um, and I also think there's another character, Remy Buxaplenty, where it also conveys the idea that, like, but you can also be too wealthy. You can be so wealthy that it is alienating from everyone around you, right? Yeah, and... I think to some extent, like, Trixie and her cronies are not Remy Bucks of Plenty Rich. Yeah, clearly not. Like, they are, I would, say, I would say, outside of the exaggeration for childhood's sake, I would say they're probably upper middle class. Yeah, I think Trixie Tang's family, they probably, 
go between 500,000 and like a million in income. Okay, so that's more to me that is wealthy but not ultra wealthy. Yeah, and I think like Remy Bucks of Plenty's parents are multimillionaires. Yeah, even billionaires maybe. Yeah. They talk about buying islands and like sniffing. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, so Remy Bucks of Plenty is very clearly a play on Richie Rich. Yes. So that level of wealth, which is extreme. And yeah. Timmy, Timmy himself is like, Timmy is the ideal, and I, I'm air quoting here, the ideal middle class, unquote. Yes. Like yes. The bourge- his like family classic lives. Bourgeois. Yeah. His family lives in a well-maintained two-story home in a suburban neighborhood. They have the time and wealth to spend time like caring about and working on their lawn. Um, and they have like definitely the money, like they definitely have the money to buy Timmy. Some of the nice things that Timmy has were in fact purchased for him by his parents and not things that he wished for. You know, he is definitely, he is not poor. He's not rich, but he, he's like, like, like quote unquote normal, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And Chester's poverty is also exaggerated. His dad Mm -hmm. lives with a bag on his head. He's the only single father we see in the show. It's like, talk about inferiority, by the way. Yeah, like his dad, his his dad, interesting, we circle back to that, because his dad used to be a race car driver. and Baseball player. Baseball player. And he did so bad that he wears a bag over his head in shame. So again, inferiority is a big theme, but... He, his dad is, they, they eat possum and they talk about like bushmeat and all this like really low class associated stuff. And Chester's a good kid. He's funny, but it, sometimes it feels I'm just like, is this really what poverty looked like to you? Butch Hartman? Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like. And it's also like, okay, so remember that this this show premiered more than 20 years ago, right? So it's like, like, even now, like being like, quote, like white trash or trailer trash is like a type of like person or cultural position that it's still acceptable to like make fun of or even be like openly nasty about because there's this perception of like you know um well they don't have you know there none of none of the things that keep other people down are affecting that but you know there's no racial bias or whatever so you know it's um it can be like isn't it ridiculous that these people like live in these rundown trailers and like eat squirrel and shit whereas like in a way, like, some of the things that they show Chester's family doing, like, yeah, it can be funny, but also, like, that kind of poverty is very real, and it's not funny at all, you know? Let us not forget that class conflict, you know? Yeah, Making fun of definitely. them because they're poor, because they're white, is, like, classic. Let's... It, it's not okay to pick on poor people, regardless of their station. 
Like, yeah, and that's the thing is like someone like it's like, you know, um like a lot of my extended family still lives in Appalachia and even some extended family who doesn't live in Appalachia are just of a lower socioeconomic status and many of them do live in trailers. Like I don't think that I have any family that still is so desperately poor that they have to like eat squirrel, <laughs> you know, or anything like that, but it's like like, I actually know, like, I have many family members who have lived in trailers, some of which are in rundown trailer, like, single wides and rundown trailer parks, some of which were, like, very nice triple wides on, like, land that they owned, you know? So, it's, um, it's something that it's, like, that was very, very acceptable when this show premiered, and I think it's becoming much less acceptable now. But still, it like I bet most people would feel comfortable of making fun of white trash. Quote Absolutely, unquote. even the fact, even the fact of like saying something like white trash or trailer trash. Right. Absolutely, like, yeah, that's. I feel like that is an acceptable target group still to this day. Absolutely, never for sure. That you're fundamentally making fun of poverty when you do that. So, yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, so that's one of those things where it's like there are moments with Chester that are funny, but also it's just kind of like uncomfortable a lot of the time. Yeah, we like this show, it straddles between being mean spirited and not being mean spirited. And Chester definitely feels more mean spirited. Yes. Or a situation yes. does. Yeah. So. The last thing I want to talk about, because I feel like it really deserves attention as a fantasy fan, and one thing that I really appreciated that I think the show does that I didn't remember it doing is that the show makes fairies more like the fae than the Cinderella version of a godparent. Okay. So, like, let me explain what I mean by that in case you're not aware. Right? Like, fairies come from Celtic? It's Anglo-Saxon? Like, I don't... Germanic? Generally, yeah, I would say that, like... Like, you could say they're, like, Germano-Celtic. Um, the lore about, you know, the fair folk is probably much more developed in Celtic cultures. But it does absolutely exist in certain forms in various Germanic cultures, like elves and stuff like that. But probably what you're think what you're about to identify related to the Fae is probably most influenced by um specifically Irish mythos surrounding the she. I suspect that you're correct. Because <laughs> like yeah, the, the Fae are tricksters who well yeah. not categorically. I mean sort of categorically. It depends. They're like a whole different group of creatures that are magical and Pickish, I guess is the word. It's like like puckish, I think. Puckish. Yeah. Um like it's like, like the the fair folk or the hidden folk in all of these like Germano-Celtic traditions are the characteristic that they all share at a base level and that you could use to describe all of them is that they are humans but better in every conceivable way. Um and because of that, they also do not have a human sense of morality. Yeah, and I, I feel like Puck from A Midsummer Night's Dream is sort of like one of the modern depictions people would recognize. 
yeah. of this popularized, like the idea of like, what is, what does he do? He runs around causing mischief that is ultimately to teach kind of a lesson, but mostly because it amuses him. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of like one of the biggest things, like the fair meant sort of like, it's like, it's a mix of those myths where it's like awe and horror and respect mm-hmm. and fear. Like all yes. and and like eldritch things all wrapped up in one. So like these beings are dangerous, oftentimes malicious. At best, they will not care about you in the way that humans care about each other. And they have a lot of rules, like a lot of really weird esoteric rules. Like the legend of, um, I think it's elves or gnomes that if you throw salt in front of them they have to stop and count all the grains of salt yes yes that's a specific type of um i think it's some like one of the like little one of the types of little people in europe like several of the types of little people have that um myth or like uh stuff like with the she in ireland like you can go like hang out with them in their realm and like party with them. But if you eat or drink anything, you have to stay forever. So you can hang out with them, but you can't eat or drink or else you'll never be able to come back to the human world. Yeah. And they have like, they have to keep their promises, but they also, there are things with promises. Like there, there are a lot of rule, like the, Mm -hmm. these legends so oftentimes feel like people ascribing sort of like an underlying eldritch structure to the world that humans can't understand and that's why Mm -hmm. it's like creepy or weird or worth your respect um this is all leading up to the fact that like these fairies feel closer to that than disney fairies do because so much of the show concerns uh, they they've codified their rules so the rules the rules (laughs) or l rules so, like, they've codified their rules, but they're no, like, they're really, eso- like, a lot of them are traditional, but many of them are, like, very weird or esoteric. So, for example, like, you would assume that if somebody wished that somebody would not be evil, that it would simply change their personality. However, when you ask a fairy to make somebody not evil... That evil, quote unquote, has to go somewhere. So it turns into a bug that infects another person with that evil, right? Timmy should not be expected to know that. But when he makes that wish, for no conceivable reason, that happens. That feels very fey to me. Like the idea that you can wish for things, but... Like, these wishes are, unless it is a simple material object, if you're ever affecting something abstract, there's always a catch. And in this version, the fairies aren't doing it on purpose. They're not trying to be fun or evil like many creatures in traditional lore would be, but it still happens. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because even time, like some types of material things, if they're very specific and there's a limited number of them in the world, they say if you wish for that and we give it to you, that 
that like it's finite. So it will be taking it away from someone else. Um, you also can't wish for currency because currency, it, they think currency is way more real than it actually is on this show. Um, so if you wish for currency, you it will either be stealing or counterfeiting. <laughs> um, so you can't wish for that. You cannot use magic to help you win any competitions. You cannot use magic to interfere with true love. And many wishes have like a monkey's paw effect. Which is why Wanda is constantly trying to get Timmy to be careful with his wishes and phrase it very carefully. And he often doesn't do that. And there are times where even Cosmo is like, Timmy will wish for something and they'll look at each other and like with this look like, oh God, this is going to be really fucked up. But they have, they also have to grant his wishes. If he ever says, I wish, they have to do it. Well, and, and, in a similar fashion to the way in which, like, I'm talking about, like, all this, like, complicated fairy stuff is also the idea that, like, losing your fairy is very traumatic and people don't remember it, but it's really easy to lose your fairies. And it feels like this group of eldritch beings with magic gives this magic to children and then doesn't provide them any guardrails. Like, do, the rules are maybe supposed to be that, but they're very bad at it. And, like, children can lose their fairies or affect the timeline or do all of these things that the fairies, they just want to have fun, which is, again, mm -hmm. very fae. Like, they just want to <laughs> be amused, do this thing that they enjoy, and these fairies just happen to enjoy granting wishes to downtrodden children that could ruin their lives. So I, I think it's great. It's mostly fun, but it, 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 it reminds you that like these ma magic is weird and has rules and should be respected. And Timmy never learns. <laughs> I also appreciate that because that's the thing is as also a fantasy lover, if your magic system does not have clear rules, it's really boring. Um, because if there aren't rules to your magic system, then it's magic and it can do anything, you know? Um, that's, like, one of the most fat, like, one of the most baffling accomplishments of uh, noted transphobe J.K. Rowling in her Harry Potter series is that it managed to be a really, like, good, fascinating series where the magic was fun and worked, where there were never any clearly articulated rules to that magic system. I still, I've read that series, like, 18 times, and to this day, I could not tell you what magic can and cannot do in Harry Potter. Yeah, I, I get the sense that, like, you have a rough metaphysics, that, like, magic is their will manifesting in the universe, but past that like it feels like yeah what can't magic do exactly whereas like something like um one of the most fun things for me as a teenager about reading the aragon series is that not only were the rules of magic clearly articulated but many of the dilemmas that the main character faced had to do with the rules of magic that you know once he learned to do magic it did not just solve all the problems in fact it created more problems and that's kind of the whole premise 
of the Fairly Odd Parents that it's better for to ha- him to have these fairies than to not have them. But all of the problems are always related to him, like, fucking something up by not being careful enough with his wish. Literally, the whole premise of the show is be careful what you wish for. Which, I mean, the reverse is that Timmy is a brave child that wants and he thrashes about and he tries things and that's inspiring. (laughs) He takes swings. He does. Timmy's Timmy's an interesting character, actually. Like he takes he he swings for the fences, but so often he wishes in frustration or anger, which he's ten. Mm-hmm. Of course yeah. he does. What do you fucking expect? He's a child. You've given relatively limitless asterisk magic to a ten year old. Yeah, and most when things get the most fucked up, it's because he wished in frustration it's when he wished for absolute silence right yeah or um, super anything oh my god favorite running <laughs> yeah. of the show. so so i i think i said what i needed to say where like i feel like the magic is actually interesting in the show because although there aren't there's an a logic to most of the rules they're still clearly delineated And so they can act Mm -hmm. as a plot device, right? Soft magic systems can't act as plot devices in the sense that, like, Sauron was never going to be solved with Gandalf's magic because the rules behind it were very unclear. But in this, the rules or subversions of the rules are, like, plot-solving devices where, like, the rules say you can't mess with true love but what do the rules say about using magic to convince somebody they're not in love? Mm-hmm. Oh, we can mm-hmm. skirt that. So like, yeah, that's, that's partially what I found so interesting about, and they never run out of cool premises. Like they don't. Yeah. Butch Hartman like has gone on record to say like, what's so great about making the show about magic is that there's, um, there's almost too many possibilities. The show writes itself and the challenge is narrowing it down. So I feel, yeah, I feel like that's one of its abilities to stay. Like its staying power comes from, comes from that premise. And I mean, they've got mm-hmm. a very clearly delineated relationship triangle between Cosmo, Wanda, and Temi. That is always fun. Yeah, definitely. I would say, like, so there are definitely, like, just to really quick highlight a couple of running, like, like a couple of running gags, like, stuff that was really funny. Um, multiple times, uh, Wanda's ex, Wandissimo, turns uh, Cosmo into a turtle, but that has Cosmo's head still. And, like, <laughs> like Cosmo's just trying to walk really slowly to get his wand and like threatening Wandissimo and it's very funny um Timmy's dad will often there's an an episode where Timmy like dad has a bunch of trophies but he doesn't have one trophy and he says and this is where I would keep my so-and-so trophy if I had one if, (laughs) if I had one is a running gag that appears in multiple episodes all about dad Like, yeah, definitely. This is where I would keep my other child if I had one. <laughs> um, very funny. Uh, 
Dinkelberg mm-hmm. is yeah so great fantastic love it uh dad has a feud with their neighbor Dinkelberg who we have no reason we don't really we see why it starts because Dinkelberg is mom's ex but mm-hmm. other than that it's sort of just like a funny traditional suburban feud style mm-hmm. thing what else uh super toilet um, Super so, toilet. <laughs> super okay. So super wish, super anything wishes are a very big sticking point of the show because super things, quote unquote, cannot be affected by magic. Mm-hmm. So once they create a super toilet, they can't wish it away. <laughs> so super toilet traumatizes Cosmo, and it gets brought up multiple times. We're just saying super toilet will make Cosmo suck his thumb. Um, yeah, and by the way, that like super super toilet does not occur within the bounds of the show, within the timeline of the show. They just use it remind him remember super toilet. <laughs> yeah, so super super anything is a big deal. Um, pixies are corporate types that are like fairies, but they're really boring. And to wish, you have to fill out forms in triplicate. So. <laughs> I, I really like that because I do think the show is very clear that it's like corporatizing fun is a bad thing. It's very much like yes. old world versus the industrial era mm-hmm. style stuff just played out between fairies and pixies. And it feels really I like I like those episodes. They're pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Internet was one I talked about. That yeah. one is very funny. Um. AJ's braces or Chester's braces do anything. <laughs> that was great. They're a shield. They're a boomerang. They've got robots in them. That one episode where his braces, like it's the skate park episode where his braces just become more and more like dramatic. Like at one point he has like a, a whole swing set on his braces. Um, They're really obsessed in the show with virtual reality episodes. Yes. They do a ton of them. Like Timmy going into the TV or the internet. Um, I forget. So there's, um, there's one. So there's a bully named Francis and he's very large and he is also gray, which is kind of an animation trope where like kids that are like bad will be kind of a weird color. Um, but it's. And it's not acknowledged, but they acknowledge it all the time. Like adults will be like, like next to that large gray child, or they're like, what is that gray child doing? Tim, Cosmo, Cosmo and Wanda love each other, but it's pre. it's like commonly stated that the main reason that Wanda loves Cosmo is because she thinks he's hot. Really? I didn't pick up on that. Yes. (laughs) Like, he's fun. That's He's fun and he's hot. So basically, Wanda thinks Cosmo's a bit uh, a himbo. He kind of is. <laughs> like, that's, that's kind of why Wanda... Wanda only goes crazy for chocolate. It's a really funny gag that comes up multiple times, like when Timmy wishes every meal would be dessert. Oh, man, I haven't encountered. I didn't. I don't think I got to a point where they brought up that bit. Yeah, later they do it a couple times once they do bring it up. Uh, Doug Dimmodome, owner of the Dimsdale Dimmodome. The Dimsdale Dimmodome. Yes, Doug Dimmodome, owner of the Dimsdale (laughs) Dimmodome. So they have to say it every time. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, 
Yeah. I his mean, head is so tall that it cuts off the screen. Like, he's a really short guy and he wears a 10-gallon hat. Most of the time when you see him, like, it's, like, up, like, relatively up close or from a view underneath because Timmy is a child and he's short. But sometimes they pull out and his hat is so big that it just, like, goes off screen. Well, and, like, he's, he's Texan very clearly, but Dimsdale is, like, a Midwestern or, or, um... Northeastern city. I feel like it's very much like any town USA. Any town USA. Yeah. What mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Jorgen von Strangle constantly is threatening to take away Timmy's fairies because of really like. He's got a personal grudge against his kind of fun. I don't know. He doesn't like Cosmo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld is impersonated by the April Fool in the show every time he shows up. And it's very funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yeah. The, there's just the show is really fun. I had. Yeah, it's, great, it's really, really funny. I had a great time. I laughed a lot. Yeah, I was worried that it would be um, that I wouldn't enjoy it as much as an adult. That it would, and it can be a lot. Like many kids shows, it can be loud. The voices can be grating, right? But it's legitimately very funny, and I still thought it was really funny. So I, I definitely think that it is worth going back and watching if you haven't in a while. I. Yeah, I would say at least if you have 30 minutes to kill and you have Netflix, just like throw on an episode. The revival wasn't until 2006, and I widely consider the first run to be better than the revival. So that's that's what I would. Yeah, I think that if you the first six seasons, I think, are the original run. It wrapped up and then in 2007 immediately was back on the air. So. But yeah, the first three seasons are all on Netflix, which is like everybody has Netflix, so they should be really easy to, you know, that's just easy to access. Um, And they're good. They're very good. Um, So I would definitely recommend them. Yeah, so this this feels like a very good transitioning into what eventually will be our Renaissance era, but still like a very solid entry with feet in kind of like both worlds. To some extent. Yeah, I agree. Making a For perfect, sure. It, it almost feels like we should have done it as a bridge. And we just. It's like it. a trend. Like, like we did Fosters as that bridge. But I think that the Fairly Odd Parents is just as deserving of that, actually. Um, I think it is like a sort of transitional fossil. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the however many fucking intermediary evolutionary links between us and our last common ancestor with gorillas no uh bonobos yeah yeah exactly so well i had fun yeah you guys had fun um we had fun as always (laughs) yeah so um we try to get it to you a little quicker than this but we did do it within the month this time um next month though is my wedding so we there might be a delay um, we might be busy. So uh, doing stuff related to my wedding. So we will do our damnedest to get you an episode in a reasonable time frame. 
but there is a distinct possibility that despite our best efforts, it might be mid-June <laughs> before we're able to get you another one. And I just want to be upfront with everybody about that. We had toyed doing a special Patreon-only movie recording while we were in the same room. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. We can't tell the future. Not going to make any promises. <laughs> not not going to make any promises. But maybe if you subscribe to our Patreon you will get access to us in the same room talking about a movie. Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. That's the, the, that's the game we play in this game we call life. You're always rolling the dice. Yeah, there you go. Speaking of which, um, we do have that Patreon that Chris just mentioned that we do provide sporadic reward content to our patrons. If you want to help us out with the basic cost of making this show, you can go to patreon.com slash animates and subscribe to that show for any amount of money that you would like. You can also find us on social media. We are Animates Podcast on Facebook and at Animates on Twitter for any more long form questions uh, or if you want to solicit us to use your niche podcast platform um then you can email us at animates at gmail.com with the numeral eight instead of an at i know that you niche podcast platform people are listening we get a lot of emails from you um of course we would really love it if you would rate review and subscribe to the podcast because that might help other people find the show i have been Paige, and i have been chris Thanks, uh, thanks as always for listening to Animates.